Growing Pains, IE Parenting Podcast, in association with Safe Food, helping you make better food choices. Hi, I'm Irene Feehan and welcome to Growing Pains, the Irish Examiner's parenting podcast series in association with Safe Food. With me today is child psychotherapist Dr. Coleman Nocter, who writes a column for our IE Parenting section, published every Tuesday and online. Coleman is also the author of the best-selling book, The 427 Zone. It was published earlier this year. For the next 20 minutes, we'll be talking about childhood and teenage anxiety and how parents can best respond. Thank you for joining us in our studio, Coleman. Thanks for having me. So the question I'd have is, what does the research tell us about the growing anxiety among teenage children? Well, I'd say to start with, the, the research probably reflects my own clinical experience. I've never seen so many anxious children as I have for the last number of years. And, and likewise, probably never seen so many anxious parents uh, over the last number of years. It certainly does seem to be the kind of epidemic of this generation. And that's not just backed up by my own clinical experience. There was uh, an interesting study done by the Youth Social Innovators, the YSI, in 2022. Um, and they found that anxiety was a major issue for almost 60 percent of Generation Z, which is the kind of new generation coming through, breaking it down into 32 percent presenting with anxiety and 26 percent with stress Mm. and almost 21 percent with features of depression. So uh, what what that says to us is that young people are struggling uh, Mm. and that um, it's, it's across the board. But what was also interesting and probably does reflect something in my own experience is that there's an absence of happiness. And not so much the presence of sadness, but the absence of happiness or a kind of a pervasive apathy. Mm. Um, And in this, they found that only 7% of the young people would describe themselves as kind of motivated and only 5% described themselves as enthusiastic. And where would you put the pandemic in all of this? Do you think that accelerated it or did it, what happened to children during that time? I think it would be a mistake to say that, you know, COVID brought anxiety to our shores. It far predates mm. that. Um, mm. But it certainly exacerbated those difficulties. And I suppose the idea of what children would have used in terms of to counter anxiety, albeit social and emotional experiences, almost children became kind of socially and emotionally cryogenically frozen over that time. And there wasn't that developmental skill set to develop and while yes when we press play again Manny did respond very well and and return to normal there are a considerable amount of young people still struggling to recalibrate post that so I don't think pandemic started it but it certainly didn't help. So how do you spot the warning signs of a child who's suffering from anxiety? Well I suppose we all have certain degrees it's important to say that not all worry is anxiety Mm. uh, and not all sadness is depression so life will make us anxious it'll make us stressed and whether that's a pending assessment or a test or an exam or something like that or a football match whatever it might be those sorts of anxieties are normal they're not pathological I suppose when it becomes pathological is when it starts to really impede with their functioning so their ability to attend school their ability to socialize with their friends their ability to sleep eat those sorts of things and what we see is 
when people are anxious, they do two things. They overestimate the challenge and they underestimate their own ability. And so when you see a child starting to do that, it's really important that we try and help them to see the challenge in perspective and to nurture their sense of their own ability. But um, you would see that throughout ages. It might be in younger children. It might be your school refusal. Older children, it might be much more social and not wanting to spend time with friends. And even into kind of young adulthood, anxiety around, you know, putting themselves out there can be a real issue. So, um, yeah, it's impeding their functioning would be the, the metric I would use to kind of judge whether it's a, a just worry or maybe something that's more uh, worrisome, like anxiety. And so if a parent sees their child exhibiting these behaviours, anxiety, overwhelm, how, how does that parent step in then to begin to make changes? I think when we said about, you know, overestimating the challenge and underestimating your own ability, your, your help is to try and coach the child to see things at a degree of perspective. So what anxiety does is it causes us so seeds of doubt and makes us to kind of catastrophize, sensationalize. And so your job is to try and manage that escalation and almost be another voice in the child's head, a much more rational perspective context. But you also have to nurture their child's ability to manage this by reminding of the things that they may have coped with up to now, maybe na- how they've navigated other elements of their lives and remind them of their skill set. You know, sometimes we can... By helping, we can make things worse, almost like if the young child comes into you at nighttime and says, there's a monster under my bed and you say, well, hop in here, then we can sometimes send the message that there is a monster under your bed and you need to be here. So oftentimes by going back to their room, checking under the bed and saying, you you can stay here tonight. I believe you can stay in the tonight. We're kind of giving them that self-worth and self-belief that they can manage it. Although cumbersome in the nighttime to do that, mm. uh, it's an exercise and investment that will pay off because what we don't want to do is kind of, I suppose, concur with the anxiety or or allow them to to feel that there's something to be anxious about. And give them a sense of control, it seems, as well, would be important. 100%. I think the idea that children have some say in how they manage their own anxiety. and, And, you know, sometimes we can, you know, if a child is anxious about going to a party, we feel that we need to bring them to every party there is and we can kind of flood them and overwhelm them. Children need to be managed at their own pace. And so the idea of building it up gradually and, and kind of drip feeding little bits mm. of responsibility is a far more effective way of managing anxiety than flooding or to or anything too dramatic. Um, so sometimes you see a child who's kind of tendency towards perfectionism as well, having to get it right, the fear of getting it wrong. How would you respond to a child? Yeah, I think anxiety is the fear of the unknown. That's what it basically is. So if you don't know the outcome of your school test or your job interview or your blood test, you get anxious about it. So what perfectionism tries to do is to create as many knowns as possible by emphasizing the value of preparation. So if you make enough of a list or if you've done enough work, you almost remove all of the unknowns. Unfortunately, life isn't worked that way. So there's no way that we can remove all unknowns. It will always come back to there will be inevitably uh, life will throw something at us that we didn't plan and that's where perfectionism comes down is because when you go against from the plan how do you do you have a plan b perfectionism is very much a cultural issue as well so we have this idea of being able to cut and paste and filter everything in our lives almost that to give the illusion of perfection um and so children naturally buy into that idea um while perfectionism is not 
the desire to get it right. Perfectionism comes from the fear of getting it wrong. Yes. And there's an important mm. distinction there because it's driven by anxiety. Uh, and, and that's why uh, we have to kind of allow children to have a much more flexible view of the world, a much more spectrum idea of what is success and what is failure and being able to kind of see that not not just nine out of ten is success, but four to six to six to eight, eight to ten. There's all these different variations of degrees of success rather than it being one entity. And parents, again, I'd imagine have a very important role in role modelling that to their children then as well. 100%. And children, you know, we have an anxiety issue, but we also have a parental pressure issue. You know, we have much more... If you were to ask me what children are managing, they're managing academic pressure, they're managing sporting pressure, they're managing social pressures. And there's a much higher expectation of children to be exceptional than there ever was before. And that comes from parents. And I would say you only have to look at the idea of maybe doing grinds. When I was in school, you did grinds if you were going to fail a subject. Now people are doing grinds and going to summer schools to make sure they get their H1. And this moving of the bar just creates more and more pressure, which creates more and more perfectionism, which creates a much more narrow view of success and failure. And for children, they are kind of the concrete thinkers in that way. And so they will... They will live their lives by that gospel. And as adults, we've got to be careful in what message we're sending children. And I'm thinking about the importance of being the good enough parent, but it's also the message of being the good enough child. 100%. And again, mm. the, the parenting, we live in a world where competitive parenting is an issue. You know, mm. we're trying to keep up with everyone else. And, and the idea of being able to share our parenting successes and see our children as an extension of us we can get caught up in the idea of parenting almost par- being an investment in your child, you know. So I'm going to send them to Irish college to get 600 points in their Irish and their leaving cert. Or, you know, we see everything as an investment. And oftentimes in doing so, we can miss out on the value of fun or downtime mm-hmm. or relaxing. And so the idea of trying to be a, the good enough parent, almost if we have an idea of that, that if we raise the bar of good enough, then pervasively we'll all be striving for something that's unattainable. Uh, And it's important to say parenting is aspirational. Mm. It is an aspiration. It's not something that we ever master or nail. Um, We're always learning. We have to learn from, for sure. Okay. And then I'm interested also in that idea about that in the world, like we know that it's a tough world. You have to sometimes struggle to survive. We get that Darwinian idea of the survival of the fittest. And sometimes we can get the idea that if you're tough on your child, then you you get them into that mode that they will survive no matter what. But you're not so sure that that survival of the fittest actually idea is good for kids. Yeah, I worry about it because I think there's a kind of a... There's a millennials are soft sort of kids are soft these days and we need to toughen them up. And, you know, this idea of, you know, like us, they need to walk to school with no shoes. You know, that never happened. Like, But we like to have this idea that that was our upbringing and that this sort of adversity breeds a kind of resilience. It's a myth. Resilience doesn't isn't determined by the adversity in your life. Your resilience determines how you respond to the adversity in your life. So the resilience comes first. So often as we even think about something like a physical injury uh, or an illness or a sickness, how you recover from that very much is down to the state of health you were before you had the injury or got the infection. It's you use what you have in your system already to battle it. And resilience is the same thing. We need to invest in a child's social and emotional intelligence and their ability to see the world and have those kind of skill sets 
assets to manage the natural challenges that life will bring. And it's their resilience that determines their management of adversity, not the other way around. If someone had an injury and pulled a calf or hurt their knee, you wouldn't send them out to do a 5k run because it would only make it worse. So the idea of making life harder to make children tougher, I just don't buy into that. And we almost uh, we see that in kind of narrative in children's sport that they need to know how to lose and they need how to defeat and need You're not convinced. A, a certain amount of disappointment for sure, but not I don't think it's the answer for sure. I think there's there's something that needs to happen first and it's investing in that self-worth, self-belief and self-value that I would see as being mm. a much more indicator of resilience going forward. You've a lovely expression where you say it's not so much soft skills as deep skills that you want to reinforce in your child. Yeah, we have that idea of, and it's one of the things I'm really disappointed by is that we mistake deepness as softness. You know, so this idea of a child who who thinks a little bit deeper than others or maybe is thinking things a little bit more holistically or maybe trying to understand the world a little bit more, that we see that as kind of soft, that they're sensitive. Um, the idea of being able to read a room, being able to have a social intelligence, being able to understand what people might need from you. They're incredibly important skills that people need to learn. Um, and they're deep skills because they're things that probably will guide your trajectory in the world much more than maybe academic achievement. But from the point of view of we underestimate those deep skills and we kind of compromise them by calling them soft or maybe a sensitivity. And I would see the sensitivity as a strength as much as it is something, a burden, if that makes any sense. And often don't you see as life plays out, it's your life skills that actually come to the fore and are a guarantee of your success or an indicator of success far more than perhaps academic success. For sure. And again, the, the, the research would back that up. That, mm. it, you know, if, if everything was just anti-academia, we wouldn't have job interviews. You know, mm. we're looking at personality traits. We're looking at work ethic. You're looking at communication skills. These are all things that we can't bypass. We still need to develop. Um, and I think that, you know, seeing the child as a much more rounded individual rather than seeing it. And, and as a society, we, we are a bit responsible for that because we reward academics and sport as primarily those two things. So they're the things you get medals and prizes in. The other stuff, not so much. And if we don't value it as the adults in the room, children are not going to value it either. So what kind of medals would you like to see given out for other skills? I'd love to see a kind of a, a spirit award or something. Who Say, for example, a young person who maybe had a close bereavement or something and managed to get finish that school year. They should be recognised on TY Awards Night, not just the brightest and the fastest. Um, and maybe a child who oh, who helped another young person out who was struggling with being bullied or excluded or somebody who was upstanding that we ma- manage that. And, and almost like it's, it's those kind of things like kindness and generosity and and kindness of spirit that uh, I just think that children don't value because we don't. Um, and I would love to see some sort of a turnaround in how we create a value system for children. Now, you often say that young people are natural problem solvers and that we actually need to listen to them. So rather than decide what's good for them, to actually start with a child and tune in there. So how would that play out between a parent and their yeah, child? Yeah, I mean, neurologically, the neurons are, neurons are firing in childhood. You know, they're much more, if you can think about the, even the physical development of a two-year-old versus 12-year-old versus 18-year-old, they're much better, bigger than 32, 42 and 52 from that point of view. So... They're trying to work out the world, they're experimenting, they're seeing things, they're touching things, they're feeling things, they're working their way through it. 
And we almost have to allow that to happen. We have to allow them to learn through play, through failure, through uh, repeated attempts. Um, but I think in a time-pressured society, that sometimes is seen as a luxury. Um, and I would oftentimes think that as parents, we need to we feel the need to rush in and to do mm-hmm. and to get things right. Um, the idea of, you know, maybe we do our homework together and, you know, almost rushing through the homework to get it done doesn't really give an indication of where that child is at if your child is doing something and you say that's very good but I think you should do it this way uh, you know as we when we jump in and I always use the example of how many times do you would you tell your toddler to hurry up in a day and I think if you did that tested yourself you'd find out that you do it quite a lot and that idea of rushing to the end result sometimes means that we miss out on the process and I would love children to have much more time and space to have those creative ways of negotiating navigating and problem solving and just giving them an opportunity to do that because I don't think I don't think it's that they're poor at it I just don't think we're giving the opportunity to learn it. Okay, and you have a very good example then about how that might play out in sports. So rather than the rules from the top down, let the children work out the rules themselves within, obviously, reason. 100%. I think the idea of we our children grow up in a very adult-led world. So from age four or five years of age, you're kind of in organised, formal sport. And that wasn't always the way. I think years ago, you'd have children would play amongst themselves. And if the ball goes over the line and it's a debate whether it was out or it's in, the children will work that out. They will have a negotiation. They'll work that out rather than looking to the adult to make the decision. And I think when we have such an adult-led society, we remove children's autonomy to become decision makers. And one of the biggest challenges, I think, in young adults and teenagers that I would see is indecision and not being able to make and the tyranny of choice and children needing and young people needing to have those skills of learning to make decisions. And I think we have to allow them the autonomy to make those decisions when they happen in their lives rather than maybe just waiting till they hit their 20s and offering it them that for the first time. And you've also written about teenagers working together as social groups as well, rather than the adults organising their social life for them actually to come together and work out what they want to do on their own terms. Hugely important. And especially, I think that's probably one of the things that we maybe saw in, in certainly in the pandemic, that children lost some of that skills of social navigation and social organisation. So children who went from kind of, you know, play dates and sleepovers, which were largely parent led, to now being expected to organise their own lives socially have really struggled with that because they just didn't have that learning opportunity. Uh, And I think we need to kind of value that and almost retrace our steps and teach children how to socially organise themselves a little bit. But um, I I also think that the idea of seeing every activity as having to have a function is an issue that parents place on, you know, you're swimming to learn how to swim rather than to splash around and have fun. You're going to sports to become a premiership footballer rather than to have fun. And we as parents need to kind of step back and see that not every aspect of life has to be an investment. In fact, there are things that are that, are, that we just do for the crack. And that's important, too. And it's almost trying to value that. And let the child, let the teenager find their own developmental curve. 100%. I mean, that the only way we can develop skills is by allowing us an opportunity to learn it and have a learning moment. And children and teenagers, and again, one of the things I think we have to listen to the voice of young people to see what they want. Not that oftentimes it might be misguided and may not be accurate, but they need to have, a, you know, the more we listen, the less they'll shout. And I do believe in that, that we actually need to hear what they have to say. It may not always be what we agree with, but we may need to know that. And, and this is one thing about teenagers, I think, 
teenagers oftentimes mistake the idea of being listened to and agreed with. And if they're not agreed with, they believe that they're not being listened to. And I think as adults, we can we have to make that distinction. I'm listening to you. I'm hearing you. But maybe I'm not agreeing with you. And there's this distinct difference for and sometimes that can get around many as an argument. So to hold that line with your teenager. For sure. Um, if you were to have um, one key tip then for your child, what would you say? Perhaps around boundaries? Yeah, I think the idea and this is the, the key to parenting is that it's a different skill set needed at different ages. So if you're how you would manage your two year old is different to the 12 year old is different to the 22 year old. And, you know, parenting doesn't get easier. It just gets different. You know, mm. the, the sleepless nights of the infant to the sleeping sleepless nights of the teenager are <laughs> similar impact. We're just worrying about different things. But I would say the most important part of per- parenting is pacing. And so the mm. idea of the idea of being involved, being intensely involved and stepping back at a pace that allows your child to develop the skills that they require without stepping back too quickly, which cause them to be overwhelmed or stepping out too slowly, which leaves them kind of naive and de-skilled. So the beauty of or the challenge of parenting for me is pacing that step back and being able to allow your child to optimize their development mm. um, within that kind of process. But it's trial and error. And like I said, parenting is aspirational. Mm. There is no formulaic. It'll vary from child to child. What one and, and this is maybe the idea of arbitrary age limits. What one 12 year old can do is very different to another. And, you know, to use another example, you know, children are like popcorn. You know, they don't all pop at the same time, despite being under the same conditions, you know. Uh, um, so we have to kind of Part of being parenting is being flexible, being responsive and trying to pace that step back as best you can. Coming, that's excellent. Thank you very much. Uh, and thank you for joining us on our podcast series today. Pleasure. Growing Pains, IE Parenting Podcast in association with Safe Food, helping you make better food choices.